0: And enjoy.
1: Please join me in welcoming Todd and Joshua. Hey
2: everybody. And tree. I feel like
1: we're in a like a folk rock band
0: right now. <laughs>
2: Hope you guys like the Indigo Girls. We're going to play it for about 25 minutes, and then we'll let you uh, hear Closer to Free. Um, is that or Closer to Fine? Closer to Free? Was it Closer to Free? What was it? Closer Man. to Fine?
1: You just got booted uh, off the uh,
2: Lilith Fair right there. Uh, 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 closer to... Uh, uh, yeah, Sarah McLaughlin, I hate you. I like that face you're <laughs> making. I might have actually seen the Indigo Girls in concert, now that I think about it. Oh, well, man. This yeah. is not getting off to a good start. Open for Ben Folds 5, and then I never had sex again. Oh. Um, so, like, you say to uh, your wife, I want to see Indigo Girls and in Ben Folds 5, and they just say, well, enjoy yourself in your sure. single life. Yeah. Um, the vagina just... <coughs> Close. This is going to be a great skylight podcast. It is
1: absolutely. Uh, So I
2: am indeed Todd Goldberg, but I am a minor character here um, because we are here to celebrate the lovely and talented Joshua Moore, ladies and gentlemen. And his amazing new book, All This Life, which came out on uh, Tuesday. And uh, now my sense is most of you aren't at home constantly refreshing your Google Alerts for Josh's name. Um, I am. Um, Today, Josh got a giant review in the San Francisco Chronicle that said he is at the height of his powers and then spent about 600 words saying other genius things about him. And then I had to go look up to see if the person knew Josh personally, if there was sort of a pay-for-play thing like we all do with Tony when we're in the Bay Area. Um, (laughs) Do they know you don't live there?
1: Because we'll have them
2: cut this from the podcast. Okay, (laughs) he goes
1: back. I've seen him around
2: So Josh has had a great day got a great review But it's just uh, one of a circus of great reviews He's received starred reviews for this book In every publication that gives stars um, Including even one early enough to go on the back of his book From Publishers Weekly that said dot dot dot
1: <laughs> That was my favorite
2: part Oh I love that but then they put it in a box. It's the one time, other than if you're a mine, when you want to be in a box, yeah. is if you're in Publishers Weekly.
1: The box makes you the real deal. Yeah. No doubt about yeah.
2: it. It's like Joshua in a box and then baby in the corner. Um, so I've been reading Joshua's stuff since his first book came out. I remember uh, his, uh, his former press um, sent me his first book to read um, so that I would review it. And then it took me forever to read it, and I didn't get a chance to review it. But I fucking loved it and i thought well i need to become friends with this guy and then i saw his picture on the back of his book and he looked super tough and scary and i was like well what th- that, was, that was like when you were like you were super intense in your photos and just like
1: right
0: right like it was sort like of uber brooding right yeah,
2: yeah it was no pastels it was just like okay And i was like that guy if he ever meets me he's going to want he's going to fight me and then i'd have to kick his ass and that would be weird
1: that would be so embarrassing for me <laughs>
2: But um, the, the amazing thing about following Joshua's career since uh, the first book came out in 2008, 2009 uh, is seeing the huge evolution uh, in his work and I can say, uh, even if I wasn't here to talk about this book, uh, that it's the very best book of Joshua's career um, I absolutely loved it, I read it on vacation last week, you can tell there's smears of suntan lotion on it
1: that's not suntan lotion <laughs> let's be honest
2: <laughs> it's not <laughs> um, and I I, uh, I read it in, in three nights. And then I went back and I took a picture of one of the pages. Now, I'm not one of those people who goes around taking a lot of pictures of books because you know, I'm not into, into the Pinterest <laughs> and the MySpace. <laughs> but in the middle of Josh's book on page 108, if you have it in your laps, I'd like you to take a look at it. Page 108, uh, the bottom of page 108, beginning with the words the only, reasons to li- the only reason to live to the bottom of page 109 is a single sentence. And I argue, primarily with myself at this point, that it might be the single greatest sentence in the history of American literature. It's like 900 page- words long, or 9,000 words long. How long is it? I have no idea. <laughs> the other counterpoint authors in the room, just so you know, we all now get to have page long sentences without cuts <laughs> we all get that, so this book is it's pretty different than your other stuff it, you know it 's dealing with the culture of the internet and interconnectivity um, in, in a way that i don't think you've looked at in your previous books. Can you can you talk a little bit about your evolution as a writer and what made you decide to tackle such a, such a big tableau
1: of who we are online versus who we are in real life? Uh, well, it started out with an idea about that I wanted to make a San Francisco story that was both a love letter and an indictment this is the city that I came of age in Mm -hmm. I've lived there since I was 17 um, and it has changed a lot um, you know, San Francisco started as a boom town when they found gold in 1848 uh, and there was you know, crazy influx of money and that led to displacement and lots of chaos and we're having the same thing now mm-hmm. except we're not just having a boom town in an analog sense in an external sense there are like two Wild Wests, one analog and one digital. And I wanted to do my best to kind of pay homage to this very nuanced and, I think, uh, unique time mm-hmm. in, in, our, in our history. But the book also, I think, is, you know, you had made a name for
2: yourself as sort of the, these dark, hard novels. Um, and Fight Song, obviously, was the beginning of a departure, I think, from that. But there's a like there's a beating heart of real love and empathy in this book that I think is a different kind of emotion than, that you've written about before. Is that emblematic just of you, you know, being in a different place in your life? You're married. You have a kid. You, you know, you're 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 aging at a really precipitous rate and just getting uglier every day. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, he's just starting to turn sour. I know.
1: Time lapse orange, <laughs> right?
2: Um, <laughs> what part of you as a writer wanted to to look at that emotional side or is it just or is it an unconscious thing
1: it's conscious from from the standpoint that I wanted to make this an ensemble story I love those old Robert Altman flicks from the 60s and 70s where we've got you know, seven or eight seemingly disparate storylines and we don't have any idea how they're all going to push together. But by the time we get to the climax, they all converge Mm -hmm. in ways that we didn't see coming. Uh, But I also wanted to write this one from the inside out. So there's not a lot of kind of authorial editorialization. Mm-hmm. I think that's a word. Um, I'm just kind of rendering their hearts and their minds, um, what they love, what they're ashamed of, their biases, their passions, and their guilt. And the reader gets to sift through that for herself, and then she gets to make her own determinations. Mm-hmm. And you're also writing... Oh, we forgot to do something important. Did we? Yeah, that bag next to you.
2: The gift for Dan. We can do that later. Okay. <laughs> Dan, don't let us forget we have something shameful to give to you. Yeah. Sorry. It's not shameful. <laughs>
1: he doesn't mean that, Dan. I would never do something like that.
2: So you, in this book, though, you, so you're writing from the point of view of you have, a, uh, I think we can, you know, it's not shaming a crazy person to say they're crazy, right? Sure. We don't want a crazy shame.
1: Right. That's a new thing, right? Right. <laughs> crazy shaming? I just
2: wrote a 1,000 word crazy Craming? <laughs> I don't want any response pieces for the crazy shaming that we're doing. So you're writing from the point of view of a crazy person. You're writing from the point of view of a young boy, uh, a teenage girl, an adult male, uh, and another adult male. Am I missing one? Oh, an adult woman. Adult woman. So you you have all of these points of view. Um as you were writing were you did you write each point of view singularly or were you just saying okay now I'm ready to write this person now I'm ready to write that person and was there a process where you had to change the way you were writing based on shifting your point of view
1: that's a good question. Um, it started off with just one story. It was going to be a novel about uh, this guy, balloon boy, who injured himself falling off a weather balloon um, and his girlfriend, and they kind of go on this road trip together. And I did a draft of that maybe seven or eight years ago, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And put it in a drawer, and you, you know how as a writer, you put it in a drawer, and you hope that like, magically it just fixes itself. <laughs> and then you reread it, and you're like... Fuck, what is this is good now. What happened? But that did not happen at all. Um, I, I really liked the idea. I really liked the consciousness. Uh, but I just wasn't, I hadn't approached it right yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I had a couple more ideas and be like, oh, maybe I can stitch these things together and, and make a novel mm-hmm. out of them. I mean, I, I never have a plan. Lots of writers, I think, have outlines or kind of highfalutin ideas about what they're going to embark upon. Um, but I'm not one of those cats. I know the first image and I never know anything else. In fact, my mind is so subversively programmed that when I tell myself, oh, chapter two is going to be blah, 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 I don't do that. (laughs) Because I don't even like hearing myself give me orders. Right. Um, Isn't that weird? so I don't know how these things are going to play out and people that I think might have primary roles are suddenly delegated to being secondary characters I just have to kind of let it shake out and follow the trial and errors you know writing at the beginning, being in the middle of constructing a novel is sort of like being in an MC Escher painting you know this door leads you over here mm-hmm. and the staircase leads you back here and you just have to be comfortable Existing in the chaos And and I love that part of it What if it were like
2: being an MC Hammer video <laughs> With the pants? <laughs> yeah, writing is like the too legit to quit video
1: So these are Todd's <laughs> musical references So far right? <laughs> the Lilith Fair MC Hammer <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> I'm
2: uh, 27 <laughs> Plus 17 Um But, okay, so you don't have this plan, but then clearly a form starts to take place in this novel about both the evils and the wonders of technology. Sure. Um, And, I mean, we're living in such a strange world now where tomorrow there could be some new, you know, social network or new, you know, I... I was just talking about this with someone else the other day. I, I don't know what Periscope is, but I know that people never do. i heard of that. It's some new thing. Okay. I guess there's porn on it. It's um, not new. It's not new? <laughs> <laughs> the porn isn't new. Um, so were you worried about saying, okay, I'm going to capture this period of time and this existent technology, um, or, or was it not a concern that you just wanted to talk about this new world that we live in in general
1: in my previous novels I've intentionally sort of obfuscated the characters from technology because I didn't want it to age poorly Uh, but with this particular novel I decided to approach it like a hip hop record where all of the References were going to be so pop that I know it's not going to age well and I'm totally cool with that. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the technologies in there that there's a whole little bit about is Google Glass. Right. With like the wearable face computer that they already shut that project down. And the book, what, came out on Tuesday? Right. So we're second time. <laughs> Planned obsolescence, I believe the kids call it. Uh, But I think in order to do... What I wanted to do was write a present tense book about the San Francisco that's happening around me right now. Mm -hmm. The things that frustrate me about it, the things that I love about it. And I had... In order for me to do my job right, I just had to embrace all these things.
2: And it seems like there's also some, some Easter eggs in the book that relate back to your previous books. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great scene in a bar, um, well, there's actually two great scenes in the bar, that I think very clearly might be a bar in a previous novel of
1: yours sure. as well. Yep. Um, well, it was funny because I mentioned, Damascus is a title of an older book of mine. It's a, a bar in the Mission District. And I wrote a series, a trilogy of bar books. And the last bu- bar book was called Damascus. And I had read somewhere that Vonnegut, I think when he was 50, killed all his principal players so he couldn't write about them anymore so he would have to do new stuff. So I burned that bar down so I couldn't write about it anymore and I'm so fucking sick that I had this guy rebuild his burned down bar so it's hopeless. I'll just write about that bar forever. I don't know. So, So... <laughs> but
2: was that you saying alright I want I want to pull along my crowd I want I want people in on the joke to be part of it or is it just simply that it's also a pretty good symbol for exactly what's happening in particularly the Mission District where it used to be the darkest, seediest place on earth, and by the time you get home, you know, later in the week, it's just going to be 30 chipotles. Right. Um, with a gap. And, but actually, we
1: only need 27 chipotles. Right.
2: And they never have that fake pork. We're out, sorry. These are the problems that I have uh, in my gated community life. It's fucking chipotle. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what we're talking about. Oh,
1: so. I think it was it was both of those things. Right. I mean, I, want, I like Good. I like when when artists have kind of Easter eggs to their um, their particular universe that they've been documenting. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it was emblematic of this uh, change that's happened, where the Mission District was full of artists and immigrant families, and now we've all been priced out. Right. And I wanted to talk about gentrification in a way that I don't sound like an old guy like waving his cane around, you know, like, oh, it used to be so much better, because that's boring too. Right. So I wanted to take and, and talk about kind of the tech boom from both its strengths and its weaknesses, because technology is in this book has a lot of positive stuff that it's doing
0: Mm -hmm.
1: as well in fact this is going to be sort of a captain bring down for a second but just bear with me i had to have this crazy heart surgery this winter everyone's energy just went oh he lives spoiler alert Uh, he makes it this is is the worst (laughs) anecdote ever um And so when I was just about to have the surgery, I had to build a wall in my heart. And as I was just getting ready to go into the surgery, and my family was out in the other room, and I was just sitting in this hospital bed being like, shit, I hope I don't die today. I had my iPhone with me. And I put something up on Twitter that was just like, hey, I'm really scared. I'm about to have surgery. Whatever you believe in, you know, thoughts, prayers, Ouija board, just send some stuff out Mm -hmm. and like the outpouring was, was incredible and like so poignant and and so impactful. So that's all these things are very fresh in my head where it isn't just like, I don't like technology. That's not the case at all. There are lots of things about technology that I think are like vibrantly communicating to our everyday life. Well, I think
2: you touch on particularly your own experience. You know, it's not in the book obviously, but the way that we find, um, some connection to other people, even if it's not skin to skin, can happen online, and it can be it can be emotional. It can be it can be real. And I think you know the the nature of friendship today has changed. Obviously, you know who we are and who we care about and how we interact with those people. I might I've, I've seen you twice in the last you know six months, but I see you every single day on the internet right. um, with those pictures that you sent me. Though I mean, our wives will never know about I those. Know, right,
1: right. I mean. The hair is just growing back. <laughs>
2: You might have a wall in your heart, but I don't.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> and other stories.
2: And other stories. Yeah. You'll love. It's coming out from Dezank next year. At this time.
1: Is that how you say that? You pronounce I the do, D? I don't know. Dezank. They published one of my books, I and I have go, no idea. I go silent D. I say Zank. Is it Zank? I don't know. Rob? Is yeah. it Zank? Is it Dezank? Dezank. Huh, all right. By
0: some sentence about what you don't like about them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll fix this in post. Yes. Um. We need to fix that in post. <laughs> uh, so I, th- I think what you're talking about, I think the reason why the book is hitting such a chord, uh, obviously with, with the critics, is that very thing. Um, one other big question I have for you uh, about this book specifically, and then we'll talk about some other stuff generally, um, and then I'll let you sell books, um, is the pace of this book is really different than the pace of your other books. It essentially becomes, after about a third of the way through, into the pace of a contemporary thriller
1: it's a thriller yeah
2: um and and i was completely stunned by that completely stunned did you have to learn to write differently did you was this a conscious choice or or did it just all of a sudden happen because you were intersecting these six characters
1: i think it was a combination of factors i think i wanted to you know hopefully as artists every we're challenging ourselves on a project by project basis and we're executing things that we probably couldn't have done before Mm -hmm. right so we're like stringing our artistic high wire in a more grand altitude um Because that's when we do our best work, right? We always have to be willing to risk falling on our face. If we're not risking failure, then that's boring. We're spinning our wheels in the mud. So I wanted to challenge myself to do something that I'd never done before. I'd never Mm -hmm. paced something like that before. And I've also had never let myself start a book so slowly. Mm -hmm. Like I had always been in the past. My, My novels are sort of wind sprints. Kind of like you go and kind of catch your breath right. the whole way through. And this one is paced, you know, entirely differently than that. So some of that was conscious. And then we know, and from an editorial perspective, um, Dan Sotank and I, we did a lot of tuning with that stuff too, because when I turned the book in, he said, I like this book. This is a good book. Mm-hmm. Um, but your tone is a little flip. And this this novel needs to be rendered in a more earnest way. So that was sort of the last draft that I did. Mm-hmm. Was just fixing this this tonal issue. It was was an interesting standpoint from a from a writer's um, viewpoint because I could have just wrapped myself in some like bullshit postmodern bulletproof vest, right, and been like, "You just don't get me in my art, man," Um, and like smoked a clove cigarette in the corner. Uh, but I had that draft saved, right? Like not, that draft couldn't be screwed up. So I figured I, I owe it to the to the narrative. So my loyalty was to the book and not mm-hmm. to my own hubris. I was like, well, I'm just going to try it Dan's way. Right. If it doesn't work, I still have this thing saved. And you know, 30 or 40 pages into it, it was so obvious that that he was right. Mm-hmm. And I was glad that he he pushed me to make the material better. Yeah,
2: but a little bit we hate him, right? Oh yeah. I mean, a little bit, it's like, yeah, fix you also, Dan, you know? It,
1: was, it ended with you, but it, it wasn't fix. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like, fix Josh, fix me, fix everyone else. You know what? It, it's time for Dan sometimes to, I think, take a look in the mirror. Yeah. You know? Well,
1: it's funny because during, during that last kind of gust of uh, editorial process from August to December, it, d- it dawned on me that we were developing this relationship like a f- 50s couple, you know, in which he was like the stern patriarch, like telling me what to do, and I was like making meatloaf, wearing high heels or, I don't know, it's terrible um, but I wanted to get him a present so he would never forget that very special time that we shared together.
2: Never forget, like the Jews say
1: Dan, can you come here please?
2: Dan Svotanka, White cursey Telephone, I the front
1: So I was thinking that since that we were like we were like an old couple, that I would get us matching bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and his says Mr. Smetanka, and mine says Mrs. Smetanka.
0: So here
2: you go. Oh, you got the uh, thing
1: there. Dan, go ahead and put that on.
2: It's go, illegal now. Go, go ahead and put that on for us, Dan. Let's get some photos, please. I mean, you should probably take off your shirt.
1: And I don't know, I don't know why, oh, but I, I got them with a hood That's yeah. nice. <laughs> There's a gun in the pocket.
2: That the hoodie is nice. Uh, I know, right? Yeah, that wasn't my memory of the process at all. Uh, Dan, when you have a book, you can be up here talking.
1: <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just have to own the facts. Right. I was gonna say that we're <laughs> Mister and Mrs. Smitek. All
2: <laughs> right. The hoodie is a really nice tie, it is.
0: Um, it's high quality. I
1: don't want to. Hey, get, get the photo. photo. Let me get out of the way here. It's
0: so
1: <laughs> is it looking? Here we go. It also looks vaguely this Christmassy. not going on the <laughs>
2: That's nice.
0: Send it to my dad. Thanks.
2: At foxnews.com. Dance a take a list, gentlemen. You raised the bar, Josh, because now, uh,
1: <laughs> I don't know why a bathroom would ever need a hood. Like, what do you think that's for?
2: Sometimes it's cold. You want to, you know, protect your ears. Um, so let me uh, ask you uh, one more sort of personal question because Please I think do. It, I think it um, is sort of interesting. Your lovely wife posted something a day or two ago talking about how different life was for you writing the book because you had a daughter in the process of writing the book. Um, I mean, not you physically, your wife physically had
1: the the job. She did the heavy lifting.
2: Right. Um, But all of a sudden you're a parent and you're writing a book while also holding a child and taking care of a child. How did that alter you from a work standpoint, but also just in a creative standpoint?
1: Well, writers are typically creatures of habit. You know, I had been a, a nocturnal author where I would write from midnight until five, six in the morning, sleep for a couple hours and start my day. And obviously when Ava was born, I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. So we evolve. I mean, we evolve or we don't make art. And so I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. So what I decided to do was, I, we live above a laundromat so i always volunteered to do the laundry and i would go downstairs with my phone throw the loads in and i was j- actually just dictating the book to siri you would dictate it i would dictate it to siri and then i would just it into like a note doc and then i would just email it to myself no shit yeah 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 uh, what
2: so, like, you were like a lawyer, like you know.
1: I think schizophrenic is the more apt term. Yeah, I would just be sitting in the corner of this laundromat, being like, and then all of a sudden, there's <laughs> one And there was like a bunch of women in there being like, "Oh, that poor guy. Does anybody have? I don't know. He's withdrawing, obviously. Right? needs some methadone or something.
2: He's rapid cycling, but at least he's cataloging it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. He seems happy.
2: <laughs> so. How much rewriting did you have to do of the of the stuff that you were recording?
1: Tons, yeah. You know, but I I got the essence of what I was trying to do, and, and I think the the book is pretty conversational, mm-hmm. and I think some of that comes from changing the means in which I was putting you know pen on paper. Right. But I think it, it's a nice I think it's a nice thing for us to remember too, because we can get like really soldered into oh well, I have to have my favorite mug and be wearing my favorite signature hat, um, <laughs> or I can't work. <laughs> But if like if the art has to come out, you know, you do what you gotta do. I would have never imagined scribbling in a laundromat, but that's what I had to do.
2: how did you come to, to, to make that decision to you know to actually record yourself? Was it just oh I'm just going to do that and see if it, it works? My
1: stupid fat fingers like I couldn't type and on my iPhone. Right. And it was just like flam flom flom. And it was like <laughs> autocorrect. So I just decided I'm just going to dictate it and see. Wow. That was much. That was much more smooth. Huh? Would you say period? I said exclamation points, <laughs> all sorts of things like that, wow. comma. Wow. Semicolon. I'm a huge advocate of the semicolon. I know sometimes it gets a bad rap, but I dig the semicolon. I'm a full colon guy. I like the full colon. Full colon. It has its place. It does.
2: <laughs> Usually in the middle of a sentence, you sick fuck. Oh, I thought you were going to go in somewhere <laughs> totally. Different. No, no.
1: Do you have any idea how hot it is to be wearing a yeah, bathrobe gu- was,
2: right now? I was going to tell you, Joshua. You
1: can, you can take cheated. it off. I don't know what's going on. You can you could probably disrobe. I mean, you Absolutely look like not. Joe Frazier right gonna, now. Gonna, I, I walked down this road and I'm not going to
2: stop now. It's the Thrilla in Manila in <laughs> <and> Skylight. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I'll ask you one last question then we'll we'll turn over to the audience or did did you want to read something? did you want to read a little bit? I can read Yeah. Um, so here's my last question for you Um, it's the one question that uh, I have always found most interesting about um, other writers which is do you remember the point at which you stop saying oh I like to read that to oh I want to make that um, as a young person
1: It's a good question. Um, I don't know that it happened in one shot for me like that. There was a couple books that I read um, and, and that sort of lit the fire. Uh, Another Country by James Baldwin was one that was a game changer for me. Uh, what he's doing with Point of View, and th- he writes with such kindness um, and such grace, and that was something that I wanted to try to emblo- you know bring into my own work. I mean, we're always trying to get at empathy, right? I mean, isn't that what the whole shebang is all Mm -hmm. about? Um, It's to try to elicit an emotional response from an audience that we'll never meet. You know, this cool guy in Detroit or this woman in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I don't really want anyone in Alabama. You don't want Alabama? Uh, But we have to make them (laughs) this artifact can make them feel something. Uh, we, if we can actually touch them in, in their heart, I mean, yeah. that's, that's why I write. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely why I write. Uh, the other book that, that changed things for me was E.L. Doctor of the Book of Daniel. it's oh, a great um, book. Which yeah. I just, I didn't know that you could break rules like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a punk rock narrative. Um, and I probably tried to write, like, a bunch of facsimiles of the Book of Daniel. This was, like, pre-internet, thank right. God.
2: <laughs> or else you'd have a bunch of internet short stories called the Book of jazz. Oh no,
1: probably Dan's book. But I think we, you know, we, there's the conventional wisdom says that we, you know, we should write the book that we want to read. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I agree with that. But I also think that we can take it a step further and say, you know, write the book that only you can write. You know, always be playing to the the biggest asset you have as an artist is your imagination. Mm-hmm. Nobody else has an imagination like yours, and that has to be the the ultimate currency on mm-hmm. the page.
2: Well, let's hear a little bit. Of yours read a little something you want this one Uh, why not yeah
1: there you go um did you want something barry squallery or do we want something (laughs) a little bit more Hmm. something barry squallery yeah barry squallery all right or what what about just the beginning
2: with the the, uh, with the band all right
1: sort of weird, right, seeing a guy in a bathrobe read a book. It is. But we're just gonna go with it. And you're just Schwitzing, aren't you? You, you, Absolutely. We
2: should have done this in a spa. We could have done this full
1: Paperback, my friend. Paperback. (laughs) The Schwitz tour. (laughs) It's another... Brittle day, all of them inching over the Golden Gate Bridge into San Francisco. Their typical trekked, cluttered desks, schlepping with their hangovers, their NPR, carpools and podcasts, prescription pills and nicotine patches. Their high-def depressions, LASIK so they can see all their designer disaffections, lipsticks smeared on bleached teeth, bags under their eyes or Botox time machines, bald spots or slick dye jobs, bellies wedged in pants or carved Pilates bodies, their urges to call in sick, their wood- coulda coulda, shouldas more rationalizations and regrets running through the air than cell signals nobody wants to get to work even those claiming to enjoy their jobs still bristle at the idea of oozing into ergonomic chairs reviving computer screens feeling the days flickering chaos erupt on their faces a couple extra hours of sleep a half day, telecommuting, something other than the full slog. The particulars of their job don't even matter because at all variables lead to one delicate plea. Please give us a day off. <laughs> a day to ourselves. A day to be alone. A day to be alive. But this is a morning without such clemency and so there they sit in their hybrids and lease sports cars and family sedans, eking a couple toes on the accelerator before hitting the brake again, bumper to bumper, a Bluetooth chain gang. The posted speed limit is 45, which is a brutal joke at this time of day. It should say four or five. (laughs) Someone needs to fix that conjunctionless sign. Not only does the speed limit tease, so does the traffic zooming out of San Francisco, motoring next to them, by them, zipping right along at the 45-mile-per-hour clip. That drew some sighs from our commuters, pining for U-turns and quick getaways and sordid adventures. A white Prius houses a father and his 14-year-old son. They keep away from each other in the morning, or rather Jake keeps away from his dad, his surly chauffeur. A Google search of his father's favorite things would not return the boy as a page one result. Jake has never understood what makes his dad so moody as they drive in together, and yet there's really no way his father could explain it. No way for the father to unpack adult a disappointment. It's impossible for the father to convey that he'd expected his life to amount to more than some middling stake in a PR firm, and it's too late to fix. How can he tell his only child that commuting is a kind of daily desolation, his mind always flapping to the past even when it's the last thing he wants to remember? Being young, when he released his passion and potential and possibilities up into the air, freeing them like doves, his whole life ahead to watch all his dreams come true. How can he tell his son that becoming an adult is learning to live with your failures, learning to dodge these dying birds as they thump back to earth? How do you say that to your boy? Jake, never trying to disrupt their frail truce, spends his time filming things out the window with his iPhone, stealing frames from people's lives, poaching and posting them online, his pieces of property. Yesterday, he captured a woman flossing her teeth while steering with her elbows. The day before, a guy with little scissors trimming his mustache like a bonsai tree. <laughs> So far, today's material has been a bunch of stinkers, but right then is when Jake sees the brass band. They're just coming onto the bridge's walkway on the San Francisco side by the toll booths. They're moving toward Jake, playing their instruments, forming a roaming pack. Jake counts 12 of them, three trumpet players, two saxophonists, two clarinets, two trombones, a snare drum, a bass drum, and a tuba player. They're all done up in wild outfits, clothed in mismatched prints and patterns and clashing colors. The brass band plays its song and moves toward him, and one of the trumpet players, a man, breaks free from the formation, moving over to the bridges or railing, throwing his trumpet over the side, climbing the rail, folding his hands in prayer, and leaping toward the ocean. Jake watches and records, records and watches, and it's not really happening. There's no way this is really happening, so he keeps filming. The brass band stops its forward progress. Jake has to crane his head backward to watch it through the car's back window because his father's ride inches toward the toll plaza. The brass band stays huddled, keeping its music going. Then another runs from the pack throwing her clarinet and heaving her body over the side then another trumpet player jumps then one of the saxophonists then one of the trombonists their dying dad says Jake and will stop there
2: good stuff I uh I was flossing my teeth in my car today and I thought of that passage. Nice.
1: I mean, that's something people do now, right? Do you go with the elbows or you go with the
2: knees? Well, I waited until
1: a stoplight. Okay. And then I... Wow. I had a
2: thing. Like, I got this... I had...
1: Why don't you just wait until bedtime like I the rest had, of us? I had, I had this crown put in and shit keeps getting lodged in there and I'm like... Does anybody remember asking about this <laughs> thing that's happening just, right now? One of the...
2: <laughs> the people floss now in the car is the point. I
1: guess a lot of cool I mean, people floss in the car. <laughs> you see all sorts of things in cars that you're probably not supposed to see. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I well, have to go to a beautiful Encino, California today to, to do a podcast and uh, it, took, it was 17 miles according to Google Maps and mm-hmm. it took 55 minutes to get there and about a, an hour 15 to get home so I saw lots of interesting things happening on the road they
2: called the valley the Beverly Hills of the valley <laughs> <laughs>
1: I had a different take on Encino. You know how in snowy climates they have got those plows that push snow to the side? I saw, in Encino, I felt like they were doing that to people's dreams. I just saw dreams on the side, the gutter there. You,
2: sir, have not, not been
1: to West Hills. Not yet. There's always tomorrow, my Tomorrow friend. is
2: also a good day to visit Panorama City, um, the hub of the... Uh, Well, I'm sure you guys have some questions. Raise your hands. I will call on you. If I know you by name, I'll call you by name. If I don't, I'll just point at you and nod. Yes, in the back. Hey,
0: Josh, what are you
1: doing tomorrow? Gosh, do you have something good up your sleeve? Okay, I'll go to a barbecue tomorrow. I like barbecuing. Are we talking pork or chicken? Is it BYO robe? (laughs)
0: Because
1: I'm ready. (laughs) Got my own robe. (laughs) You're like like Bob Evans. I've now adjusted to it. This is fine. <laughs> That's your core temperature is 104 now.
2: Good. Uh, did you have another question other than about artisan meats and barbecues and stuff? All right. Yeah. Okay. Other questions? Or you just want to
1: touch Joshua and get your book signed? No questions. Nothing.
2: Not yes, Ben, ben Lori. Lori. What
1: podcast is It's a good question. It is. I don't remember what it was called. Do you remember what it was called? <laughs> No. You just some random dude's house. It was, in uh, it was called. Yeah, crystal meth and porn. I think was <laughs> that was the subtext. It might have had a more official name, but I was not of it. Steph Shaw. <Burn> <laughs> I was on Ventura,
2: <laughs> Burbank Boulevard. Oh yeah, that's where my insurance agent is. Yeah, yeah I didn't see yeah. him.
1: Yeah. Um, Mark Burton. This is another Encino question. <laughs>
0: um, you seem to have
1: a real strong vision of just wondering, um, I just walked in, but where do you where do
2: you platform from? Do So the the question is uh, she said you seem to have a very strong vision of American capitalism. What is your uh, where did
1: you learn that? Was that part of the How do you platform yourself? I don't know what that means. Can you say more about that? I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs> what other
1: authors are you
2: indebted to? Oh, what other authors are, is uh, Joshua indebted to?
1: Debted to. Um, I think th- from a fiction standpoint, the book I drew on the most for this was Colin McCann's great, Let the Great World Spin. Um, and if you've never read the book, it opens with the, the tightrope walker between the Twin Towers in the 70s in New York. And Manhattan is right off the bat a uh, principal character. Mm-hmm. And he, what he did for New York City, I wanted to try to do for San Francisco with this book. Um, does that sort of answer your question? Could you more on that? Could you just go into that? I mean, do you see a situation in San Francisco that's endemic to America, or just just San Francisco? Well, we were talking a little bit earlier about the you know kind of the new economy, and that that's a that's a huge component of of this book. This idea that there's there's such reckless displacement right now, um, and it is an epidemic, and it's something that in my neighborhood I'm, I'm seeing it firsthand and wanted to find a way to, to write about that in a, in a way that doesn't feel didactic, right? Because if I went to your house and told you, like, I'm writing a book on gentrification, like, you would just fall asleep <laughs> right then. So it has to be, you know, character-driven. Mm-hmm. We have to find a way to, there's some sort of sleight of hand that as novelists that we have to employ to, like, we can talk about gentrification, but it's yeah, like... But you, you, you don't want it to be it's...
2: a polemic, you know?
1: You're talking about people first. Right, absolutely. Yeah. you know you it's like mixing pills in somebody's ice cream. Is that a thing people do, or is just like rapists? <laughs> <But> I mean,
2: <laughs> like I, <if> a, <laughs> I believe that's primarily of the rape quadrant of the Venn diagram. Someone's gonna take
1: my daughter away. But I feel like back in the day they would put like here's what, some ice cream, honey. What day was this? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm just going to stop talking. This is the rockier road, I think. Now say. I'm getting hot.
1: It all started all of a sudden. Back in the spot. day,
2: we'd shove a lude into, uh, and half a lid of something, <laughs> into some sherbet. Whatever works. It is easier to swallow. Thank yes, you. Cecil Castellucci. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about
0: this uh, process that you, Siri, um, because I know that for myself, like I
1: find it, I write differently when I'm writing longhand than I do with the computer. Was there anything that you sort of learned, or was there anything surprising or freeing um, about the Siri thing? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it wasn't just the Siri thing, too. It was also the ticking clock. I mean, I, I think as writers too, one of the things that we're, the mechanism that we're trying so hard to turn off is, is being self Because mm-hmm. we can kind of malfunction our ideas before they even have the chance to either succeed or fail on the page. And I had like the darks are in, the whites are in, I had 22 <laughs> minutes, you know, go. Um, so I was, you know... If you're going to write that way, it just means that you're going to take a lot of wrong turns and i was I was willing to do that I think i I like the you know when we use when writers use the word voice, I don't even know that we're all mean the same thing. Uh, when I say voice, what I'm talking about is is like a synonym for personality, so I liked the personality that I was seeing from the dictation standpoint, and once I saw that oh this is sort of working I'm gonna you know jump down this rabbit hole and and see what's what it's interesting though i It's something that I will probably do again going forward because there wasn't that mean time, you know, where the malicious cursor is just flashing in your face, calling you a hack. You know, it was like, I got to get to the dryer, quick.
0: Um,
2: It sounds like you're also writing a Batman novel. To the dryer, quick, Robin. Um,
1: But I found an an immense amount of freedom in having that ticking clock. I mean, I do timed exercises with my students and I should probably just do that in my own work too, right? Right. We should listen to the advice we give. Well, Meh. Yes and no. Some. Some. Yeah. Of it. Some yeah. Of it. But turning off that internal
2: editor, you know, the first time, and this is—I mean—you sort of had the the false deadline because of the twenty-two minutes you have to get through. But just writing to a deadline changes the way you write. Absolutely. You know, because it, it's it's so true. You just sit there and you can just be like, I'm horrible. Everything my mother said about me is true. I'm just going to you know buy things off Zappos right not that I buy things off Zappos but
1: you have a uh, stellar shoe collection. I have a lot of <laughs> shoes
2: I just wear one pair Mr. McBride you had a question yeah
1: just, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that tone shift um, yeah from was it too glib was that the word you used he didn't say glib but that was what he meant <laughs> yes smug yeah all, all sorts of things bro. Then, I, yeah, like, I guess I'm curious about like so you, once you made the decision it sounds like it didn't take you too long to make the decision to try it and then once you made that decision how did you approach the material in that you know like- it was basically like a a nude document you know like you can't really cut and paste your way from a tonal exercise um, so I mean I knew the characters at that point I've been working with some of them for f- five, six, seven years so I knew them inside and out and in, in fact Sometimes when we try to stitch material together that's old, there's often a discrepancy between some of the old, the nascent stuff. And, and, the, and this time, it was just like, oh, I know them, I know the trajectory, I know the plot line, um, sit down and, and go. It's something that, even though I necessarily, I wasn't like a, a super good time. I think I might bring that into my process, too. Like, I'm always... I mean, I'm, my goal as an author is to remain an apprentice forever. So, like, I love trying all these new things and kind of complicating my my writing world. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing, which is telling a compelling story and how we go about that in vastly different ways is what makes art exciting and, and frustrating. Um, the tone thing was... I learned more in that four months than I learned in my entire graduate program. Like it was a it was a complete crash course in in sculpting narrative. It was cool. Should try it. <laughs> <laughs> not that you're smug or glib, <laughs> but just give it a shot. Wow. You never know. Yeah, man. It's a little clip. Oh yes, in back there. Falling <laughs> back on the job. Um, I was curious about the experience of writing from these disparate points of uh, following these storylines, and writing them organically, not knowing. What was going to come from I mean, Jerusalem? What was going to be work or week and how how that was? Did you abandon all of the stuff? Or when Yeah. Things were going to fall into place? I had a teacher in graduate school who used to say that um, if your published novel is three hundred pages, that you're going to write twelve hundred pages along the way. Um, and of course, I like looked at her and was like. <laughs> Yeah, lady, maybe you have to do that. <laughs> but this guy, this guy is so smart. I'll write 303, you know, get the thesaurus out, go to Garamond. I, I like Garamond. Garamond
2: is great it's to Garamond increase the... Fundraiser. Yeah. Um, the old courier new is helpful right. sometimes. <laughs> Blow it um
1: So... I'm a, I'm I'm a firm believer in that model that you have to do a lot of what would maybe be called overwriting, but I would, I don't think about it that way. I think that the say it is that say if that math is correct, I believe that the 900 pages that an end reader never sees are just as valuable as the 300 that are placed on the shelf. Like we have to fill our kind of grand reservoir of knowledge, and once we know everything, then we are cherry picking details rather than being like oh, my God, I need to put a little bit more in the scene and try to like build things back up. For me, it's always an element of, of whittling things down. Mm-hmm. My, I, I've, I've sort of programmed like a short story writer in, in that sense. I'm always thinking about compression. I'm always thinking about compression.
2: Well, the nice thing also is that after you're dead or soon to die, uh, we can publish all of the uh, first drafts that you oh have. Oh, God, I
1: can't wait for that. Where
2: everyone's a racist um, and everyone has to change the name of their dog. They're also
1: wearing robes, <laughs> but they have a little hat to go along with it. It's a whole different thing.
2: I I, I am curious if anyone has come in Since or When you walked in Josh was already wearing the robe I hope so
1: Otherwise they're just like God that guy's such a douche Why is he wearing a bathrobe
2: (laughs) I hope someone just walked in And was like I'm out of here That's That's weird weird. He's with Goldberg Jews and guys in robes Um, Well Joshua Moore's latest novel Is All This Life It is fantastic His absolute best work It has been my joy And pleasure to uh, talk to you tonight And go buy his book right now And have him sign it Thanks so much for being here
1: appreciate it My
2: pleasure,
0: sir. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy!